Amen. Good morning, church. A long time no see. Good to, good to be together once again. Um, if you're new with us, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Rock Prairie, and uh, so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Uh, if you, uh, maybe you haven't been in a church in a while, and you walk in, you see a bunch of people wearing their pajamas, you might think this is a little strange. Um, uh, we don't, this is not an everyday thing. We're usually much more casual than this. We, those were... Those were Pastor David's formal T-Rex pajama pants. He has a much more casual pair that he usually wears. Just kidding. I did, uh, I had some, you know, last night if you were here, I talked about certain traditions that uh, if they don't happen, it just, you might as well not even have Christmas. And somebody this morning told me that me not wearing my pajamas this morning basically ruined Christmas for them. So uh, I'm uh, not going to say who that was, Bella, but... uh, so I apologize if there's anyone else that I ruined Christmas uh, by not wearing my pajamas uh, this morning, but we're just going to have to move on from that. And uh, as we move on, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Does anyone know this? This is one of the few chapters in the Bible that has a nickname. Does anyone know what the nickname uh, is of this uh, chapter of the Bible? Just call it out. Jason, you know? The Hall of Faith, that's exactly right. This is a chapter that recounts the acts of faith of many of the people in Jesus's family tree that we have been studying for the past six weeks. And for this whole series, I've been saying that studying the family tree of Jesus is going to help us better understand who Jesus is. And so this morning, we're going to actually go back through very quickly and look at uh, the everyone that we've talked about throughout this whole series and see how do they point to Jesus and how does Jesus fulfill the things that uh, we saw hinted at in their lives. So if you, I don't know if anyone ever has um, this recurring nightmare that I do where um, you are, it's finals day and you realize that there's a class that you haven't showed up to all, uh, all semester. Does anyone ever else ever have that dream? It's like, yeah, it's terrifying. And I don't know why it's still terrifying for me. But anyways, uh, this is kind of like uh, 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 that in the sense that we are going to, if you did miss the whole class uh, for the past six weeks, we're going to catch you right back up. So you're going to be like you didn't miss anything over the past six weeks. We're going to start with Adam and we're going to talk about uh, the people in Jesus family tree uh, that we see in Hebrews chapter 11. So hopefully you've made your way there. I will pray for us and then we will jump in. Heavenly Father God, um, once again, we're just, it's a joy to gather here again this morning after having gathered last night and um, the, the, just the way that the calendar falls Uh, This year really helps us just get centered and grounded in the gospel during the Christmas season um, this year. And so we thank you for that uh, as we behold the wondrous mystery. Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby and ultimately was put to death on the cross for us. And Lord, we thank you for the past six weeks that we've been able to study the family tree of Jesus and see these different people and the way that their lives point forward and bring anticipation to the birth of Jesus. And so now as we arrive at the life of Jesus, uh, we just ask again that you would open our eyes and our ears of our heart, Lord, uh, to see what you want us to see, um, to be convicted and challenged in the ways we need to be convicted and challenged, to be encouraged in the ways that we're feeling discouraged 
to be reminded of truth in the ways that we've been tempted to believe lies and ultimately that we would love Jesus more as a result of our encounter and studying of your word this morning. Um, we, the word of God is living and active, sharper than every two, any two-edged sword and pierces the division of soul and spirit. And so we just pray, God, that your word would do that this morning. Not my words, but your word, God. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a lot to get to. This, did I forget? Oh. Yeah, okay, I just heard that Don DeWitt was just taken um, by ambulance right now. I didn't, what's that? Okay. What's that? Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we lift up Dawn, and uh, we just, I don't know what exactly is going on, but you do, God, and so we just pray um, for her energy, um, just went, hit rock bottom, and so we just pray um, for your healing. We pray there's nothing more serious going on, Lord, and um, now we lift her up to you. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Emily. All right, well, we're going to start off um, with uh, Adam the very, at the very beginning of your Bible. That was the first person that we talked about uh, this morning. And uh, what we learned about Adam is that Adam was the image of God to mankind. Adam was the image of God to mankind. We learned that God created mankind to be the image of God to the world. Genesis 1:27 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So as males and females, as people, human beings, we represent God to the world. You might remember I brought in uh, six weeks ago when we started this series, one of the only props I've ever used in a sermon. I don't use props very often, but do you, you remember what I brought in? The little Statue of Liberty, right? And we saw that, uh, that Statue of Liberty, uh, that, uh, as a way of reminder, cost us way too much money in that uh, New York City gift shop. And we said that no one would argue that that mini Statue of Liberty is the actual Statue of Liberty. But when we look at it, we can learn something about the Statue of Liberty. And if someone had never seen the actual Statue of Liberty, they could look at the, the, the little image that I had and have some understanding of what the real one is is like. And in the same way, we're called to emulate God in the way that we love God and the way that we love one another. And we can show the watching world what God is like. So when we portray to the world love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., we are showing people what God is like. That was Adam's job, was to show people what God is like. And how did Adam do at his job? Not great, right? Yeah, he failed immediately. It's not like we have six chapters of Adam just doing an amazing job, and then uh, he made a little mistake. It's like right away, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent, and they eat from the forbidden tree. And so Adam failed in his job to represent God to the world. And in that story of the very first humans isn't just a story of other people, it's a picture to us about what our hearts are like as well. 
We're called to show the world what God is like. The problem is we often show the world the opposite of what God is like, don't we? And what's that called when we show the world the opposite of what God is like? Sin, yeah. Is there any sin in God? Oh, that's the easiest one I could have asked you, church. Is there any sin in God? No, there is not. And so when we sin, are we giving the world an accurate picture of who God is? Very good. Now we're waking up. No. Adam failed. We fail. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because while Adam was created to be the image of God to mankind, guess what? Jesus did it better, didn't he? Jesus did it better. Colossians 1, 15 to 19 should be on your screen. It says this, he is the what? Say it. He is the what? Image. He is the image. Do you see that? Adam and Eve were created in the what of God? Image of God. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in any, everything he might be preeminent For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So we were created in God's image, but Jesus himself is the image. He created all things. He is sustaining all things. He is the head of all things. He is preeminent over all things, and the fullness of God dwells in him. So when we look to Adam, and when we look to every human ever created, we can see a glimpse of what God is like when we are living according to God's law, when we are doing what God calls us to do. But when we look to Jesus, the uncreated one, we see the very image of God. Do you want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We just spent a year, pretty much this whole year, studying the life of Jesus in our series, Jesus and the Kingdom of God. Everything that we saw about Jesus in his character is true of the Father as well. So if you want to know what God is like, you can look to Jesus. Jesus did it better. And then we move on to Abraham, and now we're in, uh, starting to get into the portion of Hebrews chapter 11. We see that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. Look at verse 8 of chapter 11. It'll be on your screen. It says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So you see the author here is commending the faith of Abraham. And we talked about this, right? Remember Abraham, God told Abraham to go. And what did Abraham do? He went. He obeyed. 
He, did, he didn't know where he was going, but God told him to go, and he went. An author of Hebrews commending him here. He was living in tents in the land of promise, looking forward to the time when there would be buildings there, when it would be God's forever city. But Abraham showed remarkable faith because it didn't look like that yet. It was a land that was full of dangers and enemies, and yet he went and he lived there. And that was remarkable faith that he went, um, but then we ran into a problem, didn't he? Do you remember what happened right when he moved to the place that God showed him? It's kind of a hard, do you remember what, what happened there? It was a what? A famine, very good. I don't know who said that, but that's exactly right. There was a famine, and Abraham said, yes, there's a famine, but God has called me to remain here, so I'm going to stay here even through the famine, right? No, he left immediately. Like, as soon as it got difficult, as soon as it looked like uh, God maybe wasn't there because there was lack of food, what does Abraham do? He leaves, and he goes to Egypt, and then he looks at his wife. He says, well, she's very beautiful, and I'm afraid that I'm going to be killed on account of how beautiful she is, so I better just pretend she's my sister. And then it just kind of devolves from there, right? So Abraham showed faith to go, but then we saw when things got difficult, Abraham kind of bailed on the promise, and he left and he went to Egypt. So yes, Abraham obeyed, but guess what? Jesus did it better. Jesus did it better. John 6, 38 tells us this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus like Abraham, left his home in obedience and went to the place that God showed him in order to do the Father's will. And what was the Father's will? It was for the Son to become the ultimate sacrifice for sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And that sacrifice meant dying on the cross. So while Abraham bailed on God's promise when things got hard, Jesus persevered, enduring the cross, despising the shame, so that we might receive the promise of God. Abraham obeyed God's will, but Jesus did it better. Third, this is an interesting one, the author of Hebrews tells us that Isaac and Jacob blessed their family Bless their family. Look at verse, skip down to verse 20 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, this is interesting to me because if you can think back and remember the story of Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau, there was a whole lot of messed up stuff going on there, wasn't it? Isaac didn't want to bless Jacob with the promise of the firstborn. He wanted to bless Esau even though God had promised and told uh, Isaac's wife that the promise was going to go through Jacob, Isaac stubbornly wanted to bless Esau because Esau was his favorite. And then uh, Jacob decided that he needed to steal the blessing for himself by dressing up like his brother in a ridiculous costume uh, so that he could have the blessing 
for himself, not to mention the whole thing with the stew uh, that we talked about too. Like there was all this kind of messed up stuff here, and yet still the author of Hebrews commends the faith of Isaac for blessing his sons. Why? Why? That's the question for us. It's a really interesting thing. I think it's this. It took faith for Isaac to remember the promise that God had made to his family. The promise that started with Abraham that said, you're going to bless all the nations. Anyone that blesses you will be blessed. Anyone that curses you will be cursed. And in your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the big promise. This is the rock on which the Old Testament is built. That this family would somehow bless every nation in the world, even though it started with an old childless couple uh, and, uh, and devolved from there. Yet somehow God was going to use this family to bless the world. And Abraham believed that. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And even though Isaac and then Jacob after him were very sinful, they believed the promise of God and they passed that blessing down to their children. And I think there's a really interesting application for us in this as well. It might not be the main way to apply this text, but I think there's something to be learned here. And this applies to the moms too, but I really want to speak to the dads this morning because you might be here. I don't know your whole family situation. There's a chance you're here this morning and thinking like, man, I've really screwed things up with my kids. Or at the very least, like, man, I am not even close to the spiritual role model that I need to be to my kids. Like, if I know that I'm not going to be the one that passes faith down to them. It's going to be their mom, or it's going to be their church, or, or whatever. That might be your mindset this morning. And I think that the author of Hebrews commending Isaac and Jacob for passing down the promise to their sons, even though they did some super messed up things, like, I think that gives us some hope, too. That no matter what your life has been to this point, there is still hope for you to pass down the truth about God to your kids. Maybe that looks like, don't do what I did, ever. Maybe it looks like, I need to start taking my faith seriously. I need to get into the Word. I need to join men's Bible study that Sam plugged. Friday mornings, Wednesday evening. I need to step up, and I'm going like, to tell my wife, like, next year we're joining a life group. I'm going to take the lead in that. There's someone in our church who uh, 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 this year told me that this, for the, this, basically this whole calendar year, they have read the Bible almost every single day, and they've never done that before in their whole life. And he said it's completely changed him completely changed his marriage, completely changed the way he interacts with his kids. And uh, he was just blown away that that simple step, step of reading the word day after day, faithfully, many days not understanding a single thing that he read, but the next morning getting up and doing the same thing, transformed his life. So I don't know what this looks like for you, but I do know that there's hope. So please don't give up and think that you can't be the spiritual leader in your household. It might take time. It's not going to be just like that. 
but I know you can do it. There's hope and there's grace. There's grace because we're on the other side of the cross now. And even though Isaac and Jacob blessed their family by passing down the promise of God, guess what? Once again, Jesus did it better. Because there's no one that can hold a candle to the way that Jesus blessed his children. Look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Man, isn't that beautiful? We're going to talk a lot more about this as we begin our Ephesians study uh, starting January 7th. We're going to be uh, studying the book of Ephesians together, preaching verse by verse. But look at what we've been blessed with here. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been chosen to be considered holy and blameless. And we've been given the title sons and daughters of God himself. I mean, come on. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. And God has chosen to do that through Christ. The Father, through the Son, has blessed us in that way. They're on the same team. We need to remember that sometimes. It's not the Son that's full of grace convincing an angry Father to take it easy on us. It's the Father who has chosen to send His Son so that we might be adopted into his family. Praise the Lord. What a blessing that we've received as the children of God. And those blessings bring us back to what we were saying earlier, that your past mistakes do not have to be your whole story. Don't believe that lie. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to be made new, if you want to be holy and blameless, you need to repent and follow Jesus. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of the gospel, that you've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Amen. We could stop there, but we will not. We will press on because there's more good stuff here. Joseph hopes in the future redemption of his people. You remember we talked about Joseph. We talked about a lot in the life of Joseph in one uh, sermon. We, had, we covered a lot of ground. And interestingly, we actually didn't get to the one point that the author of Hebrews commends Joseph for here in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 22 on your screen. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, which we didn't even talk about, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Gave directions. Is that what you think about? You think about Joseph? Ah, Joseph. He gave directions concerning his bones. What a guy. What's going on here? It's a weird one, right? The author of Hebrews has been recounting all these incredible acts of faith, and then he comes to Joseph, a man who lived a life of incredible faith, and the thing he's giving credit for is telling people what to do with his bones when he died. Why is that such an act of faith? Well, it's because of where he told them to take his bones, which is the promised land. Joseph, you remember, 
the end of his life, he's living this incredible life of authority and abundance and power. He's second in command in all of Egypt. He's Egypt through and through. That's the land that was good to him. That's the place where he was given his authority. And when he was with his brothers, what did they do? Sold him into slavery, right? And what does Joseph do when he is about to die? He tells uh, his family to take his bones back to the promised land. It's like sowing a seed of promise. He's participating in the exact same thing that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. So this is my family promise. This is our land, and somehow through this land and through this people, we are going to bless the nations. We're not just going to become Egypt, because God has a promise for us. Joseph was right. One day that would happen. One day God would redeem his people and fulfill the promise of Abraham. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus is the one who made it happen. So Joseph hoped in the redemption of his people, but Jesus made it happen. Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's incredible. You see what they're saying. Not only did Jesus make the promise happen for the family of Abraham, the mystery is that Gentiles are now grafted in to that family through Christ. So it's even better than what they could have imagined. And now we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And the way that he did it is the most unexpected means possible, the cross. We don't often think about the cross at Christmas. We prefer to think of the happy baby laying in the picture-perfect stable with the well-behaved animals looking lovingly at the baby in the manger but the truth is that Jesus came to die. And when he came to earth, he came to become a curse for us so that we could be redeemed from that curse that we brought upon ourselves. We've been listening to uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a family, and then we just watched the movie the other night. So good. Uh, you got to read it or reread it or rewatch it. or It's just amazing. It's just the best picture of the gospel. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you. If you want to cover yours, I guess you can, but um, it might offend me a little bit. You probably shouldn't do that, but... Um, Edmund, one of the brothers, has betrayed his siblings for some Turkish delight, and uh, the white witch, at his quote-unquote trial, quotes accurately and rightly the law of the land, which says that when someone commits an act of betrayal, the white witch gets to shed their blood. And uh, it's... It, you look at Ed, Edmund, and you see a guilty young boy. He's, he's done it. He's guilty. He deserves uh, the punishment. And Aslan, the great lion, 
calls her into his tent and makes a deal with her. You learn that he has agreed to shed his own blood to die in Edmund's place. You think, how could he do that? The white witch can't believe it, and she quickly agrees. And once she's rid of Aslan, she will rule Narnia forever, or so she thinks. And in this incredible act of love, Aslan allows himself to be put to death on the stone table. And uh, guess what? That's not the end of Aslan. He comes back to life, and he defeats the white witch once and for all. And it's a picture of the gospel. This is is the story of the Bible uh, right there. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. According to the law, we deserve to die. We stand before the throne guilty, and there's no there's no pleading your case. I mean, it's, you're guilty. And Jesus became a curse for us so that we could once and for all receive the promises of Abraham. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus came to die so that we could inherit the blessing of the promise. Joseph believed that this would happen one day. He didn't know how. And Jesus made it happen in the most remarkable way possible. Finally, quickly, we see uh, that David, King David, and many others defeated many enemies. Verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Just like there's many people in Jesus' family tree that we didn't have time to get to, the author of Hebrews just kind of lumps all these people together and says, we don't have time to talk about all these other amazing things that these people did. But while David and many others defeated many enemies, Jesus defeated the ultimate enemy, which is death itself. Jesus defeated death itself. 1 Corinthians 15 O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death will not have the final say, church. Oh, man. Praise the Lord. I know there's many in here mourning deaths of loved ones this morning. Apart from Christ, that's it. That's, that's the end. But in Christ, death has been defeated, and it will not have the last word, just like the white witch did not have the last word. But Aslan defeated her and became Christmas and Narnia once again. So too, one day, Jesus will return, defeat the enemy once and for all, and we will be free of the power of sin and death forever and ever and ever. Amen? And in Christ, through the Spirit, we can have a glimpse of that. We can have a taste of that. We don't have to live in the power of sin and death anymore. We certainly do not experience the penalty that we deserve. But we're still surrounded by sin. We still commit sin. We still, through the way we live, tell things that are not true about God. 
But through Christ, you can be sanctified, you can be made holy, you can be more and more like Jesus. And I pray that next year at Christmas time, you can look back and say, boy, I got a long way to go, even longer than I realized, but I'm more like Jesus now than I was in Christmas 2023. I hope that's true of every single one of us this morning. That's my prayer for you. That's my heart for you. That's what God wants for you more than anything else. There's so many things on our hearts. There's so many things we desire. There's so many unwrapped gifts under your trees. You can't wait to open. This is exciting. But what God wants for you most of all this year is your heart is to be more like him. And it's all through Jesus that this is possible. Jesus, the exact image of God, the one who was obedient to the point of death, the one who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, the one who redeemed us from the curse and defeated death itself. He wants your heart. He wants more of you. He wants you to submit yourself to him. And I think the one who did all those things is worthy of that. Amen? So we're going to pray and we're going to respond by worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you. Thank you for Jesus. What a gift. What a treasure. What a delight. The fact that we have the fullness of God through the Spirit, the temple of God, your very temple now dwells in our hearts the fact that we can come to you, the fact that we can know right now you hear us when we pray. You know what's on our hearts. You know the pain. You know the difficulty. You know the frustration. You know the sin. You know all of it, God. And through Christ, you look at us, you say, these are holy and blameless children of mine, and I sent my son to accomplish that. And no one's going to take that away from me. God, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, may they repent of their sin and say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm tired of walking in the darkness. I need the light. Lord, for those of us in here who do know you, yet we recognize, oh, we have so far to go. Like the people who came before Jesus, so many mistakes, so many acts of uh, faith, and so many acts of faithlessness as well. So forgive us, God. Shape us into the image of your Son. Mold us by your Spirit. Sanctify us according to your Word. Give us a desire that next year at this time we look back, say, I got a long way to go, but I'm more like Jesus now. By your grace, may that happen. And thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.